0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 351 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. New things. Oops. Um a little, bit <laughs> a little bit differently today. Um, I don't have Adam here with me, but I have my friend Sydney. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Jill. So um as I'm sure you've picked up on from previous episodes. I have a book out tomorrow. I can't wait. I can't wait. Sydney was one of my early readers. Oh my gosh.
0: So good. You guys, you are going to lose it. It's so good.
1: <laughs> so uh we decided, I decided I didn't want to be like interviewed normally because that's boring and I've done that before. Um so what I ended up doing was getting questions from listeners like you so thank you to everyone who sent in questions there were some duplicates so i kind of merged everything together um uh, we're gonna have sydney we're just gonna like talk about it so uh awesome. we'll just talk in general um so before we get started if you want to contact us or get a hold of us you can go to our website professionalbooknerds.com from there you have all of our social links we are on instagram and twitter at pro you can email us professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com I think that's all that boring. <laughs> um, so a little bit about my book before we get started. Uh, it is called Reading Behind Bars, A True Story of Literature, Law, and Life as a Prison Librarian. I actually remembered it this time. I have a terrible time with subtitles. And, uh, <laughs> so it is about my years working as a prison librarian. And I worked at an all-male minimum security prison on the far west side of Cleveland. And you get to read all about it in my book, which comes out tomorrow, July 2nd. Yay. Yay.
0: So I have some questions sure, for you. <clears throat> but before we get started, I know you weren't expecting this, but this was one of the very first facts about you that I learned when we were just becoming friends that this was one of your previous jobs. And I remember just being kind of blown away that I just is one of those things that had never occurred to me that was a part of the prison system. So I remember being completely fascinated and have been ever since. So I can't wait for my copy. Uh, <laughs> will we talk later on about how folks can get a hold of the title? Maybe at the end?
1: We can do that. Okay. Or we can do it. I mean, it's available wherever books are sold. So you can great. Get on Amazon, Barnes Noble, IndieBound, you know, because we can yep. support those local bookstores. That's where I got mine. Um, uh, always good. Um, it. You cannot buy it, which I totally understand. Um, you can always get it from your library if your library has not purchased it. You can recommend it, either physical or ebook. It all counts. So great, awesome, okay. So I have some questions for sure. you. Sure. All right. So
0: <laughs> the question that came in from your reader, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. That's fine. He or she it. asked, "What made you choose prison libraries?" I'm going to ask. Did prison life choose you, or did you choose prison life?
1: Prison life chose
0: me. Okay, so tell me more about that. So,
1: um, I my basic, very simple answer is that I graduated with my master's in library in information science in December of 2008. No, yeah, 2008. The economy was terrible. It really was. It was real bad. And nobody was hiring but the prison, because prison always... Needs employees. That's a that's a pretty steady uh, it's a steady field. So yeah, no, the prison life chose me. I was applying everywhere and anywhere, um, not just in Cleveland but outside of it as well. I mean, like, California, like all over the country. Mm-hmm. And libraries were struggling, but the prison was hiring, and that's how I ended up at the prison. Oh my gosh. Uh... I might ask
0: you some questions at some point about that process because wasn't... Did you tell me at one point that the interview process wasn't as long and involved as you thought it was going to be or was it like a typical... It was a typical interview.
1: Um, What I did not know is that... I did not know I actually applied to a prison until... That's what it was. Okay, that's
0: what it was. (laughs) Because
1: the name of the prison, you know, you think, oh, prison, what is correctional institution? Like, what does that mean? Right. Um... And so I did not realize I actually had applied to a prison until they called me for an interview. And I almost didn't go. But I was like, no, I need to practice. For the practice. For the interview? Yeah, just for like interviews in general. Sure. So that's why I went and they hired me. That is really cool. <laughs> is it? Well, well, well it, it is.
0: <laughs> that actually leads into the next question, which I think will probably take us a little time to unpack, which was another listener or reader. Wrote in, was it a depressing place to work? I'm imagining little sunlight and a dark
1: place. So, So, yeah. She's right about the little sunlight. There was, it was, it was a not very big room. I don't, I can't even describe it very well. But um, it was not very large. Um, It went back, it was, it was narrow. It was like long and narrow, but it probably went back. I'm not even going to guess because I'm terrible at measurements. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I'm not even gonna try. But there was one window by my desk, so I got to at least sit by the window. Yes. Um, there there's one window by my desk, but that was it. And yes, they had very terrible overhead fluorescent lighting. It was not depressing though. Okay. Um, the library I quickly discovered was one of the most popular places at the prison for several reasons. One, there were no guards there. It was just uh, me. Oh and it was, I think, the only place on in the facility uh, that did not have a, a guard in the in the same room. I mean, like up in admin, there weren't really guards, but I mean within the the mm-hmm. places where the, the inmates went, um, so there was no guard there. There was a guard next door, and I had a panic button and a phone, um, but I think that was part of it is that they could come and there were no guards there. They could get newspapers from their local communities. We got newspapers oh, okay. from all over the state of Ohio, plus some national newspapers um, like USA Today. And so I could just come and hang out and just read. It it was not depressing at all. Um, And it was busy all day. Well, the afternoon shift after the newspapers came in was by far the busiest. Mm -hmm. The mornings were kind of quiet and the evenings were kind of quiet depending on what else was going on. um, or people were sleeping in or whatever. But it wasn't depressing. I mean, there were a lot of good things that came out of it. Like people would read. A, you know, read stuff from their hometown. They would find books to read. Um, they would, there's books, there's a section in there for um, tools and resources that they can use to help them after they would eventually get out of prison because all of them would, this was minimum security. They were only in for a couple of years. So they had to make plans um, and preparations for returning back to society. So we had stuff for that. Um, there was GED classes, so they would come and study or look up books or um, take, you know, like we had uh, the books, the GED study books that had the tests in there. Yeah, but it was, it, one thing it was, it was not depressing. I mean, there were depressing things that happened at the prison sure. or conversations that happened in the library, but the prison library itself was not depressing at all. It sounds really normalizing. It just
0: feels <laughs> like, you know, there's the one place where you get to kind of, have a slice of life outside of the facility. Which right. is really interesting. And
1: that is like the one thing I want people to take away from this is that, at least at the prison I worked at, and I imagine that most of them um, the the reading habits and the men I worked with were really not that much different from everybody else. Uh, and I worked in, in and with libraries for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's really not that different. Yeah. There may there are more rules, of course, and there are rules that are stricter that would not fly outside um, in a public library regarding, you know, privacy and all that stuff. But in general, <laughs> uh, it was not that much different than than every other library I've ever worked in before. Did you
0: have, um, like, a pretty typical request system? Or what were some of the, did you have, like, guidelines and things that you had to follow when requesting books? Right. Um,
1: so when I started... Um, there was a request system in place or that had been in place and put into place by the previous person, but she didn't run it very well. We owed a lot of money to libraries so we had borrowed books yeah. from. So after we got that all taken care of, I completely revamped the entire interlibrary loan system. We were only allowed to order books um, from the state library in Columbus. Okay. That is because um, there is concerns with outside books coming in and um, contraband coming in through the books. Sure. So the State Library of Ohio uh, was the only place we were allowed to request books from. There, I mean, it's just an online system. Um, I uh, part of the process. Part of what happened was that um, inmates were not held accountable if they lost a book or something happened to the book. Okay. And so books just never got returned, which is why we ended up owing money because the books were just gone. Um, so I definitely, part of the process was making sure there was, uh, procedures in place if something happened to the book. Okay. Never did on my watch. Thank you very much. Yeah. But I was just those awesome. books on time. Um, so with regards to titles allowed inside, there is a list, um, when books are challenged in the prison system, either by staff or admin or security or whatever, um, there is a, a rotating list. I think titles stay on there. I can't remember. It's in the book off the top of my head. Unfortunately, I can't remember. I want to say it's like five or seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, they drop off the list until they, and then they can come in, um, unless they are challenged again. So there was a list I had that I, I would reference. Most of it is stuff that is considered too sexual or too violent. Sure. Um, those things, were not allowed, but it was it was like a title by title basis. Gotcha.
0: So I, sorry, this is just my own clarification. So this, you didn't have a permanent library that only oh, existed there, or we was it all okay? We so did. I'm These sorry. are just the extra these like interlibrary loan requesting. kind of. Correct.
1: Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, we didn't. So like, if an enemy wanted us to buy a book, we didn't have money. Sure. So, so they, a loan had, they had to they had to loan it. We did have a Perfect. permanent collection. Um, just not a not problem. a lot, but yeah,
0: it's <laughs> something, but. Okay, what was, did you have like one or two titles that were the most popularly requested or the most popularly read that you can remember?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, They love James Patterson, hands down. James Patterson, John Gershom, they really liked the legal uh, thriller type, mystery type books. Um, The Left Behind series. Oh. By far, by far. Um, Nora Roberts. Um, I mean, Nora is queen. She so, is. Yeah. She is. Um, At the time I was there, so this was about 10 years ago, um, books we did not own but would re- get requested a lot are um, The Help, mm-hmm. The Shack, oh, yeah. and The Twilight Books.
0: Oh, I love the idea that someone's sitting around reading about Edward and Bella. That's romantic. I love that. I actually had another friend who worked briefly in a prison. She didn't work in the library, but she worked there and said that um, Louis L'Amour books yes. were incredibly mm-hmm. popular at her prison library. Yes. So Westerns yeah.
1: as well. Yes, it was like it the was first more. time
0: I'd ever picked up a Western was because of that story. Because I was just like, oh, I want to see what these are all about. Yeah. They're pretty good. So They are pretty good. Um, was there any particular book that a prisoner asked for that you found surprising? That You just did not expect? I wouldn't have expected Twilight, for example. I think example, but... Twilight.
1: Okay. I think Twilight um, and I think The Help. Because I think at the time that The Help came out, it was definitely... Mostly being read by like American women, yeah, of, like in their 30s and 40s, you know, like that demographic, mm-hmm. not men in prison. But it was really popular, and they kept asking about it. And I think because they would like read about it in the newspaper and magazine,
0: sure. So like, what does this book <laughs> <that's> good. <laughs> oh, I can imagine just sitting there, and you know, if you've got like the New York Times, or you get all the New York Times bestsellers, like, hey, where is this right. book? Yeah, sure, yeah. I wonder if the loan periods were longer. I mean, was there a list somewhere where it was like, okay, well, we've gone through all our holds at the state library. Now the prisoner is going to have it. Or were they kind of merged into those lists?
1: That's good. Yeah. They would have like a, yeah, they would get kind of merged in, um, which is how I think normally interlibrary loan systems work. Yeah. I would just like put in the request and when it became available, they would send it our way. That's good. That's even more normalizing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to deprioritize no, yeah, humans, no, we just you know? In. I mean, I would get books coming in from the library and, uh, from the state library, like every week or something. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you have
0: any scary moments that you're able to share that wouldn't spoil the book necessarily, but that was one of your reader questions.
1: <laughs> it was. Scary books. and um, scary moments. Um, I didn't have moments that left me terrified in that sort of way. I had moments that were deeply unsettling. Okay. Involving uh, men at the library who, let's just say, uh, took pleasure in more than just the books. Oh, dear. Oh dear. And without
0: a guard without a guard you're the one who has to deal with that. Yeah. Or okay. call the guard over. But in sure. the
1: meantime. Yes.
0: That I I can imagine you I mean, good thing you're a writer because I can imagine you trying to come up with some special language on the phone to tell the guard <laughs> what's happening. So I, yeah. officer, so and so. Yeah. Here's the issue.
1: So that happened more than once.
0: Oh boy. That's upsetting. Yeah. That's upsetting. Okay, yeah. I would I'm gonna count that as a scary model. Yeah. check. It wasn't like check I wasn't,
1: I didn't fear for my safety kind yeah. of scary, but it was deeply, deeply unsettling. And there was definitely moments when I knew my dad was reading my in advance copy I was like oh god God, dad's gonna read all about that okay
0: (laughs) oh my god oh yeah what did your parents think at the time
1: um oh okay so I did not tell them (laughs) until after I interviewed they knew I had an interview I specifically did not tell them where my mom picked up on that because she was like you know, you didn't. How did your interview go? You didn't tell us where it was at. I was like, well, I was out of prison. <laughs> oh. I wanted to make sure I had all the information before I was like, hey, mom and dad. Right. <laughs> um, my dad thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I think my mom was nervous for me sure. while I was there. My dad thought it was great. I was like a party trick. He's like, well, my daughter works at a prison. Oh librarian,
0: totally. You've told me about your dad in the past, and now I can totally see that. Oh, yeah, I'm just being like, <laughs> my kid does this. See,
1: that's pretty much, that's yeah. But funny. I think my mom was worried and scared for me the entire sure. time I was there. How long did you work there, all told? Uh, it's about two years.
0: Okay, wow. Um, so another reader question that I think is a nice segue from that are, is do you have any thoughts on the prison system ever having after? Having worked there. Oh, I
1: love <laughs> I'm sure. It's actually less about the prison system and more about our criminal justice system. Uh-huh. Um, which. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about this for a while, and I will give you
0: a little bit of background. Is like, I know you chose me because of timing and because, you know, I'm also interested in podcast hosting and other things. We're good friends. Uh, But what you may or may not know is that my husband was a public defender for many years and his father
1: worked in the prison system. So I have thoughts as well. So I think it's important to point out that because I worked, I I said I worked in a minimum security. I specifically worked in a prison that was known for its substance abuse programs. Oh, great. So um, judges would send men there who were convicted of drunk driving and drug charges. And there were other crimes in there as well. There was some domestic abuse, some, mm-hmm. um, like, identity theft, if it got die enough of a scale. Sure. Um, but the majority of the inmates that were in there were in on drunk driving and drug charges. They were uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous classes mm-hmm. all day for them. Some of them they had to attend. So I have a lot of thoughts about specifically... The war on drugs in the United States. Yeah. It is. Sure. I'm going to warn you all right now. I'm about to swear. It is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is fucked up. Our our system with regards to drugs um, and specifically who is uh, punished mm-hmm. for drug use. Yeah. Um, and who is not. And who is not. Yes. <laughs> and it it is like, you know, you hear people talk about this about how black individuals, specifically black men, are more likely to be convicted um, than white criminals or white users. That is true. Um, They're also more likely to get harsher sentences for it than white offenders. Also true. What is also really interesting, um, which I have been uh, also reading up on and have seen statistics on, is that drug possession is criminalized more often than drug trafficking really like owning like ha- possessing drugs <laughs> for some reason seems to get i i know i don't really that's understand crazy that i mean is it i wonder so
0: i'm i'm going to i'm going to take a stab if we're if we're talking about our criminal justice system and we we're talking about racial biases and everything are. else It takes, to my understanding, and I could be, you know, readers, listeners, you can call in and tell me I'm completely wrong, but the amount that you have to have on you or the tools you have to have on you to get convicted of trafficking, cell phone, because then you're a dealer, right? But also amount, because you have to have such, you, you can be convicted for less of an amount for possession, You know what I mean? Like, you'd have to have a lot of drugs on you, basically, to get called for trafficking. So I wonder if this is just a way to get them no matter
1: what. I'm not sure. But I definitely looked it up. Um, Okay. So in terms of just, like, the the criminal justice system in the United States being totally screwed up. So there are over 2 million people in prison, jails, and detention centers in the United States. Um, The United States makes up 5% of the global population of the world. But accounts for 25% of all inmates in the world. Mm -hmm. Fun fact there. Um, these are from uh, Oops. different statistics. A lot of them are from prisonpolicy.org, in case you ever okay. want to go look them up. Okay. So the United States locks up more people per capita than any other nation at about 700 per 100,000 residents. Oh One in five are incarcerated for a drug conviction. Um, almost half a million people are incarcerated for nonviolent drug charges on any given day. There are w- over 1 million people drug possession arrests every year, there are six times as many arrests for drug possessions as there are for drug sales. Yes. Now, in terms of racial biases, again, so this is not information I'm making up. So this, these next statistics are from the NAACP. African Americans and whites use drugs at similar rates, but imprisonment rate of African Americans for drug charges is almost six times that of whites. I'm going to flip a table. <laughs>
0: I'm going to straight up just flip the table. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Well. Fun times (laughs) there. Right. Yeah. Before either one of us starts throwing punches, perhaps I will segue into a different type of question. Sure, Just because I can feel, like, I'm looking at you across the room right now and your cheeks are bright red because you're so mad. Yeah, the topic of mass
1: incarceration is, like... It's like a whole thing. Yeah. It's like a whole thing, and it's the war on drugs and um, black individuals being targeted. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. Pretty bad.
0: Pretty bad, I say, as if that's not the biggest <laughs> understatement in the world. It's just, you know, I'm new- I'm newish to the podcast. I don't want to start swearing think, as much as I want to. Right. <laughs> I
1: think it's just one of those things where you hear these statistics, yeah. and it's hard to actually visualize, but... I saw it. The majority of the men that were in on drug charges were black. And that's not because blacks use more drugs right. than whites. The right. statistics show that they're the same. It's just that black and African-Americans get punished at far higher rates than they do than their white counterparts do.
0: We got to fix this system. We Man, do. This, this country. We is, do. Woo Okay. Here's a different question as we're both sitting here, like fanning ourselves in a small room. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, this came from obviously a super intelligent and probably just like beautiful and talented individual, which was asking you, you know, now that you have written your second full book, mm-hmm. in addition to all of the articles and, and things that you're asked to write or that you contribute, um, did you have a better idea this time around about how to plan your deadline? And if you did, did you rely on daily word count goals? Or how did you go about tackling this? Since I, I believe you mentioned that with memoir, you pitch an idea
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus, hey, I have a manuscript I want you to read.
1: Correct. First, okay. I will confirm. <laughs> Thank you. The person who asked this question is a truly amazing Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, okay. Yeah. So... A little bit of background for nonfiction, book writing. You do not have to write a full manuscript before you pitch it. You pitch an idea. You do not pitch a book, uh, like a, a full-length book. So I um, I pitched an idea. Um, I pitched it to the same editor I worked with on Running with a Police Escort. So my... Um, uh, book proposal did not have to be quite as extensive as the first one. They already knew I needed. They already knew I could write a book, mm-hmm. so I didn't need to include the sample chapter. But everything else is the same um, in terms of outline, um, chapter breakdown, um, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I should. I should just do like an entire podcast on like. <laughs> Invite me to that one. I, I want, will. I want to do I will. that one with you. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, so in my contract, I had a word count I needed okay. to meet, um, which was 80, seventy to eighty thousand words. I ended up going over it, <laughs> <laughs> sure, like the nineties, somewhere in there. I think is my actual word count. I can't remember. Uh, I think it was like yeah, over ninety thousand words. Um, so I, you know, <laughs> I like my spreadsheets and I like. I do Okay, know. <laughs> so I actually had a. Broke down by like how many words in a month, and then how many in a week? Wow! And then like day even. <laughs> you roadmapped that. <laughs> I That's did. amazing. I roadmapped it. It was the only way yeah. because I knew from writing the first book, I was like, "Oh, if I'm just focused on eighty thousand words, it it's is going to feel terrifying. Yep. Oh my gosh, yes. it is terrifying um, and feels insurmountable. <laughs> even though I had a year to write it." Yeah. Uh, it feels so insurmountable, especially as more time goes on and you're like, I've, I've only written like 2,000 words and right. I have 80 to write. So, yeah. So I broke it down um, and had a... Uh, figured out all that. Um, so in my daily minimum of what I had to write and I was usually pretty good about hitting that. Sometimes not, sometimes more. So mm-hmm. it as long as I could stay somewhat on track. And so in my bullet journal... <laughs> Yes. I had um, a chart with where I needed to be each month to still be on target. And then that was the right column was where I needed to be. And then at the end of every month, I would fill in where I actually was. And I was usually ahead. I mean, I finished months earlier than I needed to, which is good, because then I went through a review process. Um, But then I also had in my bullet journal, (laughs) I, like, colored in squares. (laughs) I had, like, made... Um, a full grid of 80,000, what 80,000 words looked like in little squares. Nice. And then I would just color them in as I went along. Oh my God. I know from experience
0: how satisfying that is. We had this grid that we had to fill out when I was teaching and it was, I don't remember, I don't even remember what the original idea of the spreadsheet was, but it was also little squares. And at the end of it, Uh, I made a copy of it and I turned it into how many school days are left before summer vacation. I color coded those uh, uh, as well. Do you, um, just a kind of a question, I know because we've talked a lot about fiction offline, I know that you're considering writing some fiction in the future. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a big spoiler. You can cut it if it is. Um, Do you think that you would have that same process? Do you think that that is a process that is unique to um, memoir writing or to, to nonfiction, I guess, in general, I'm saying because... Can you – I'm not saying that it is not a creative process, but I feel like having the story and having some of the the tale told because it actually happened, do you feel like that enabled you to meet that word count a little bit simpler? Do you think you would tackle it in a different way if you were world-building, I guess I should ask?
1: Um no, I, I have used, not quite to that same extent, but I have used beat sheets. Okay, yeah. Where you fill in sort of a projective word count, and whether it's, you know, 80,000 words, 90, whatever you put it in, and it will formulate for you the various um, plot points, mm-hmm. no, you know. Where you should be. Where you discussion. should be, yep in terms of the first act the second act third act and then specifically in like various genres this I won't spoil but various genres have yes. well-known mm-hmm. things that happen that you have to hit that traditionally hit at certain points and it'll tell you um so the beat sheets will be like you should be they it figured it, it's based on the amount of words it's figured out it breaks it down um based on that so if you put in less words or more words you'll be mm-hmm. at different page points yeah. So I've, I've used that. I've not done it in quite the same way because I was just very focused on an N word count. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah, it was approached differently than with fiction, but with the fiction, I definitely just use the beat sheets. And again, that's all very fluid. It's yeah. more suggestion. It's a guideline sure. than anything else. Um, but I definitely take advantage of a, some kind of organizational process Mm -hmm. that lets me know I am on the right track that's awesome
0: I mean I always learn from everything we ever whenever we talk about the craft yeah the Um, craft craft. but that's exciting I mean those were the user questions Mm -hmm. we got and some of my own obviously threaded in is there anything that you'd like to leave listeners with as far as um, things to consider, things you'd love for them to be thinking about while reading your book, whether it's about publishing, whether it's about the prison system, etc. cetera?
1: No, I think we touched on the two major things, which is, one, that the men I worked with and their reading habits are not that much different from what we have outside, and then that our criminal justice system is broken yes, and needs some fixing. Um, and so, you know, when you hear about people who... Have been incarcerated and maybe are struggling afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's really a hard <sighs> stigma to shake off. Sure. But just sort of consider there might be other things at play in there that landed them in, in prison. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are my two. You know, again, if your library doesn't have it, you should suggest it. Yes.
0: You should do it as a book club. It would make a good book club. Book. Oh, wait. Did you have to come up with reader questions? Do I remember you saying something about that? I did. My
1: um, publisher, I have no idea what, where they are. Okay. Um, but yes, um, I, I know publishers will sometimes put together book club questions that book clubs can utilize. So um, somewhere out there. There are book club questions. There are book club questions. Awesome. Yeah. That would be I great. Think that's it. All right. Well, awesome. I can't wait to read it.
0: I, uh, obviously I'm going to bring it into work and have you sign it naturally as, as we do. Of and, course. uh, I look forward to everything that comes after. I look forward to talking to you about it as it comes out. So hopefully we can do a follow-up some point and just be like, this is what I thought. Yeah. Definitely. Everything's still broken, but this is great. Sure. And, uh, looking forward to the next adventure. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, of course. All right. Bye. Bye. everybody.
1: Bye. <laughs>